new Johnson & Johnson vaccine is on its way. Having a third tool in our toolbox is critical. An additional 70,000 doses in one week means another 70,000 vaccinated New Jerseyans. Given the expectations of increased weekly shipments of vaccines as the month progresses, and especially as we head into April, we are confident in announcing this broadening of eligibilities now. Governor Murphy is opening up vaccines to teachers and those who work in child care, transportation, and public safety on March 15th. This is your chance to speak directly with the governor. Call us with your questions at 844-677-9283. We'll also be taking your questions via social media using the hashtag AskGovMurphy. The number again is 844-677-9283. We have Governor Phil Murphy on the line. Good evening, Governor. Good evening, Nancy. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to hear you and get together, even if it has to be remotely these days. And, We've been uh, remote now for it's a year, It's a year, right? yeah. Tomorrow is the one-year anniversary, as I'm sure you're aware, of your surgery to remove a cancerous tumor in your kidneys. Yeah. So that's something to be thankful for, <laughs> if you're healthy. Thank God. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going in. I, I, I had a good six-month checkup. I'm going in again on Monday to get, God willing, a good annual uh, checkup. But uh, thank you for re- re- remembering me and it's certainly March 4th is also the first day of our first COVID positive test in New Jersey. Yeah, those t- those two experiences, I'm sure, will always be uh, wed together in your mind, at least. No question. Uh, no question about it. So let's start with the good news. Uh, with the start of vaccinations, deaths at nursing homes have dropped by more than 90%. And the other piece of good news is it really possible that all adults in New Jersey who want a vaccine will have one by the end of May? Yeah, I think the answer is yes. But this one, first of all, the, the progress in, the, in, in the, the drop in fatalities in the long-term care uh, facilities is, is uh, thank God, first of all. And secondly, it's, it's an extraordinary accomplishment. I think it, it is worth, I think we need to spend a minute or two, and I don't, I don't want to be picking the topics here, but I think spending a minute or two on vaccines right now is well worth it because it's it's both largely good news, but um, it's, a, it's a journey. So if I may, Nance, we've now put over 2.2 million shots into people's arms. And that's, you know, that's an incredible from, from ground zero. That's an incredible uh, step. It's about a million and a half first doses and about 750,000 second doses. So 750,000 second doses means they're, they're done. Um, there is still a supply demand imbalance. There's no question about it. And folks who have not been able to get an appointment um, are frustrated, anxious. We get that. We understand it. Uh, we had some vendor issues on the phone, uh, on the website. Uh, we, we stood up all center from scratch, which is, continues to be on a journey toward maturity but there's no question um, it is getting better, uh, and the Biden team are doing a very good job of filling that, that cupboard back up that they inherited uh, as an empty cupboard. As you as you played at the beginning, we've now got not just Pfizer and Moderna, we've got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which has been approved, which is a, a huge step, um, in, in, among other reasons. Uh, by the way, an iconic New Jersey firm, but among other reasons, it's a one-shot vaccine, regular refrigeration. 
here is the, a, a big point, though, I want to make with folks. We have deliberately opened up to more communities beginning on March 15th and then another group on March 29th. We, we felt strongly there was value in giving folks visibility, some certainty as to where this was headed. What I don't want, however, uh, to think that the, that the supplies of vaccines will have exploded uh, over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be an incremental march, and I want to make sure folks realize that. Uh, in fact, Johnson & Johnson, after we, we, we're going to get, I think, 73,600 doses this week, we'll start putting shots in the arm on Friday. Um, I think they're going to go off the screen, off the grid for a couple of weeks or so while they get their manufacturing uh, in the right place. It'll be the end of this month or first week of April, and Easter's April 4th. That, to me, is the pivot point where when you, when you combine Johnson & Johnson coming online full bore plus Pfizer and Moderna, Moderna having committed to significant increases in that time frame, the supplies of vaccine doses will explode. We've built the distribution capabilities, so you're going to see incremental increases in March, and I'm going to use a word, and again, this is assuming the feds do what they say they're going to do, and I have every reason to believe they will. You'll have exploding supplies in April and May. And that's a long-winded way of saying that we will, by the end of May, we've been saying Memorial Day, plus or minus, every adult New Jerseyan who wants one should be able to get one. And our aspiration is to get to 4.7 million adults vaccinated by the end of May, and I believe we could do it. Okay, well, let's. We're, 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 the lines are filling up with calls for you, so let's go to one. We yep. have Carol uh, from Bedminster on the line. Carol? Yes. My hey, Carol. mom and husband got their first vaccine at the Raritan Valley Community College site on February 5th. And contrary to your uh, usual pro- protocols, they did not receive an appointment for the second vaccine before leaving, but were told that they would get it with, by email within a week. And we got a notice by email saying from the Department of Health from the state saying they'd get it within a week. But they're now two days out from being a month and have yet to receive anything. And when I called the state no- number, they referred me to Somerset County. And when I called the Somerset County number, they referred me to the state. And nobody seems to know the status of these second appointments. And yeah. so we're getting quite worried and feeling like maybe there's been yep. a, a dropout in the system. So this is, Carol, This we had some instances of this early on. Um, we have rung most of these instances out of the system. Having said that, that's not to say it's a, 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 that we've rung all of them out. We've got the team listening. I'm going to ask um, uh, my colleague, Mike Delamater, to get a hold of you either tonight or tomorrow and figure out where the second uh, appointments are for your folks uh, because the protocol is exactly as you've suggested. When you go into a site, you get, uh, and the Somerset County site's been up and running and doing quite well uh, based on the feedback I've gotten. But when you go into any site, you don't leave, assuming it's the, one of the two-dose vaccines, Pfizer or Moderna, you don't leave and, until you've been handed that slip for the second appointment. So I can't explain the specifics, Carol, and your parents, but I promise you we're going to follow up with you ASAP and figure it out. Governor, isn't it? Um, isn't the state hotline set up to handle some of these problems? I mean, couldn't people uh, call the, the state hotline to yeah. get help with for a second I, appointment? Yeah, I appreciate your, your saying that. So the, the two, the hotline is 
855-568-0545. Call center that's been stood up from scratch over the past couple of months, particularly Nance for seniors who are not going to be hanging out as much on the Internet. Um, I think there's over 2,000 trained operators. Half of them are Jersey folks. They've taken something like over a million calls so far. About a quarter of a million have been answered by a live person. That number's got to get up, and it will get up. And they have begun scheduling. Uh, they had wanted to do it sooner. They ran, we ran into some issues, including the weather. Um, but they are up and running and making appointments. So that's the phone number, 855-568-0545. And the other place to go is online, covid19.nj.gov slash vaccine. And that's an all-encompassing master um, address that will include not just that state toll-free number and how to go through the state system, but also all the various county and community um, uh, access points as well. Now, we have a cut of tape that I would like to play for you. This is from Larry in Springfield, who called in earlier this week to WBGO's show Newark Today. I'm a black male, 68, high blood pressure. I am looking for the shot. I can't find the shot. It's not that we don't want the shots or afraid. Yes, there might be a percentage, but there are those of us who do want the shots, but we can't find it. We want to live. Everybody wants to live. This disease is being shown that it kills black Americans and Latinos. How can we get the shots? Instead of just saying on the radio, oh, we don't want it. We do want it. And so he there, he's referring, of course, to the lower turnout and lower lower numbers of Latino and black uh, New Jerseyans who are getting vaccinated. So um, you can't speak directly to him, but speak to the issue, Governor, if you will. Well, let me ask you this. Do we know how to find Larry, Nancy? Probably. It was a call to WBGO. We'll work on that for you. I would like to ask my guys to follow up with Larry ASAP. And I won't repeat what I've just said, the, 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 the toll-free number, the, um, the website. Um, we've also now expanded our community programs in partnership with FEMA, uh, and we're in deliberately uh, in black and brown communities uh, disproportionately. I was at uh, First Baptist Lincoln Gardens in Franklin Township last week with my friend Pastor Buster Surrey's. We were in Trenton at uh, Iglesias Pentecostal with Pastor Rodriguez. So whether it's a house of worship or a community center, it's not just the six big mega sites or the other county uh, sites, such as Carol referenced at Rarick Valley, but, but it is increasingly, and it will, it will be even more so increasingly uh, in the communities that especially have attributes that are black and brown communities that are folks that are homebound. We're making a special push this week and next with 75 and, and older folks with disabilities, for instance, who may not live in a group home, but are in their own home. The J and J vaccine uh, is particularly potent to get to hard to reach people in places in the state because it's only one dose and it's regular refrigeration. So I would say to Larry, uh, if you want it, our job is to get it to you. Um, and uh, whether he goes to it or we go to him, I commit to you that we'll do that. The black and brown numbers are getting better, but they're not remotely where they need to be. And if if nothing else, this pandemic didn't create the inequities, as we've talked about them, but it has laid them bare, particularly in black and brown communities. So um, I would just say to to Larry, uh, uh, we will get to you. 
But more broadly, again, this is a classic case as well. We have 300 distribution points. We have another 1,500 that have been qualified, only waiting for more supply. So, again, you get a month from now, we're in a whole different ballgame. Okay, and uh, now we're going to go to Joe Hernandez, our State House reporter for WBGO and WHYY, who's been monitoring social. Joe, what question do you have for the governor? Hey, Joe. Hey there. Sure. This question is from Barbara in Lincroft. She says, I'm eligible to receive a COVID vaccine because I'm 66 years old. I'm registered on every site available to New Jersey residents, yet I'm not able to get the vaccine. You've now added educators to the list of people who can get the vaccine. When will I be able to get vaccinated? I will go anywhere. Yeah, Barbara, again, I mean, we, we there's a supply-demand imbalance. There's no question about it. There are too few appointments uh, for, the, for, for folks. It has gotten better. It is going to continue to get a lot better. So I will repeat what I said about Carol with her folks and Larry. Um, get us Barbara's details and we'll, we'll follow up and help her. We don't have a magic wand, but we can help folks navigate the system. It does give. There's an enormous, this is an important point, Nancy, I want to make. There's an enormous amount of anxiety. I'll pick educators, for instance. They've had an incredibly stressful year of school. Parents are anxious. Kids are anxious. Getting kids back to school in as much of an in-person format is a huge priority as long as we could do it safely and responsibly. The vaccine isn't the sort of bright line only factor contributing that. We've got a, we've got a ton of districts that are at least in hybrid, if not full in person right now, uh, absent uh, uh, the vaccine. But the vaccine's another important step. So giving certainty to communities to lessen their anxiety, even if they go online on March 15th, and they don't get the appointment right away, but they get it down the road when the supplies come in from the feds, as we fully expect. Um, so, so there's a there's a, a there's a benefit to that in, in our society in, more broadly. But again, to to, to Barbara, um, we'll get her details, and our team will reach out and do everything we can to help her navigate the system. And I would just say to folks, it gets better by the day. Patience is probably something we all need, including yours truly. Uh, but I promise you, you want a vaccination, you're going to get one. I think, though, that the the issue that people are getting at here, and we're, we're seeing it in a lot of the questions, is why... I, mean, I don't think anybody argues that teachers need to be vaccinated and need to be vaccinated as soon as possible. But you made a decision to put them in a later category, but why open up that category when people are still struggling to get an appointment in the category that's now eligible? We said this uh, right early on, Nancy. These are all good questions, and I don't blame people if they can't get through uh, for being frustrated. Um, We said this on day one. Just when you board a plane in this group 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, um, just because this is an ebb and flow process. And by the way, early on, we had very little visibility on the out weeks of supply. Uh, we are volitionally giving certainty to, to more people in the state, acknowledging that by the time they are eligible to apply for an appointment, we will have not been through everybody in that category. Uh, we understand that. But we also I want folks to hear this. The supplies are on the verge, again, end of month, early April, uh, assuming that the feds 
deliver the goods, and I have every reason to believe they, they will, the supplies will, will explode. When we know this, when we have visibility on the exact numbers, the appointments then open up dramatically. Uh, and so, uh, that's just sort of that ebb and flow, that overlapping groups of communities of folks. We've done this already, by the way. We started with healthcare workers, uh, and separately long-term care residents and staff. We then added police and fire. We then came back and said everybody over the age of 65 or under 65 with chronic conditions. So we have been doing this. The supply is not keeping up with it as, as we speak from the feds, but it will catch up. And it will catch up dramatically, in, as I say, in April and May. Okay, let's take one more call on vaccinations, and then we will clear those boards and move on to another topic. We have Susan from Bergen County. You're on the line with the governor, Susan. Yes, Uh, my problem, my question is more of the same, but I I believe that the people that I've uh, discovered that have gotten the vaccine have had to navigate. They've had a way to get the vaccine which which has caused ethics in the process because you want to get the vaccine you know it's a shortage so these vendors and providers have been doing things that just weren't on the script they've they've saw that other people that weren't on the list got got the vaccine and that's the part that's this that's daunting when you're saying to be patient and you're saying to to do the process and you're on the list, you know, people will say, well, you're not, you're not computer savvy, but that's not the case. The case is the system has gotten so, so strangled that people are doing things differently to get what they need. And it's unfortunate that it's gotten that way because those that are trying to do, to do what, what they were told to do are, are getting farther and farther behind. I know the vaccine is coming. I know you're doing all you can, but there's a thing of, I think of ethics that's really struggling to challenge this system, and I'm sorry it got this way. No, I hear you. Susan, let me ask you a question. Are you saying that people are just jumping the line and lying about how old they are or whether they've got a chronic condition, or are you saying that there are middlemen who are, are profiting from this and, and, uh, and gaming no, no the system? Profiting. No, the word isn't profiting. It's just seeing that, that they get their vaccine, and, and you know, play, I've heard that places had to shut down because they were – the, the uh, vaccines were going to the wrong people. I know everybody needs a vaccine, but yep. they, they're they're just so desperate that it's gotten that way, and it's it's yep. just unfortunate. And I understand but, how it got that way because we all want the vaccine. Not, but understood. The system, has not um, been able to, the system has not been able to to see that it's fun. I don't think Susan, it's fun you, as well as we would have liked. And then when Susan, I found out that you told me that the state system had been down. Okay, Governor, you got 20 seconds for a quick answer. I just going to ask Susan if she's gotten her vaccine. Um, actually, fortunately, I wasn't able to get an appointment, but I got a different one. And, and, I'm, and I'm sorry, but that's the way my community had offered it. So, you know, that's, that's what happened. Okay, I'm not sure what that means, but let's hit this dancing when we come back. Is that okay? Yeah, we'll, we'll answer Susan's question, and we're going to talk about your budget address and what's coming uh, in the coming year in terms of what you're going to be spending money on. Uh, I'm Nancy Solomon. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, and we will be right back. 
You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WNYC and WHYY. Got a question for the governor? Call us at 844-677-9283. Or send us your questions on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag AskGovMurphy. I'm Nancy Solomon. We're live with Governor Phil Murphy, and we're going to return to uh, Susan's question. You wanted to take a crack at that before we move yeah. on. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I, can you hear me, Nance? Yes. I'm not sure. I, I, I did. A, this is the first time I've ever done this. I cut myself off during the commercial break, which is why I asked you that. Uh, so forgive me. Um, I'm not sure I understood her question. I think her point was the following. And, and, and by the way, this includes a lot of good Samaritans, volunteers, people are, who are doing this for the right reasons. Uh, if you can afford, if you're really tech savvy, you can afford to live on the website morning, noon, and night, you could probably, you're more likely probably to find a crevice in the system to get an appointment. Uh, and I think that may have been one of the points she was making. And the other one was perhaps some people who are not eligible claiming to be eligible and jumping the line. Now, I'm sure there's some of that, but there's not a whole lot of evidence of that. The overwhelming amount of evidence, and this is a, a great character trait of New Jersey, that we do the right thing even when the lights are out, nobody's looking. Um, am I, do I believe some of each of that's happening? Yeah. And there's probably some people out there trying to profit from this in some form or fashion. And they, you know, there's a special place in hell for them. Uh, but the good Samaritan piece of this, the tech savvy folks, folks who are jumping the queue. Yeah. On the former, bless them on the latter. Um, you know, there, there aren't, we're not getting overwhelmed with that evidence. Uh, and I hope if they're listening there and they're considering that, that they don't do that. So we collect questions for the show at AskGovernorMurphy.org, and I wanted to give one of them to you. Amy from Montclair wants to know, my parents are in assisted an, an assisted living facility and, and have received both doses of the vaccine. When will I be able to visit them in their apartment? Yeah, I'm going to have Judy Persichelli or one of her people follow up with Amy. Uh, it is, Judy's doing this by region, uh, and depending on where Montclair stands in terms of transmission, um, uh, it will de- that that will inform the answer. Uh, but we're beginning slowly but surely to open that up. Again, it depends on what part of the state you're in. Um, I should say one thing, Nancy, about opening up generally, not just visiting mom and dad, but also restaurants or whatever, uh, uh, gyms, etc. Um, we've got, uh, as I mentioned, Judy's put forward uh, the, the, the outline of a plan on how to visit folks in long-term care, and either she or a colleague will follow up with Amy. But I would say this. We have these variants that are in the state. The vaccines and the basic stuff, so everything from a vaccine to face coverings to social distancing, washing hands, uh, they appear to still be the, the things that work, but the variants are more transmissible. It's not clear they're more lethal, but they are more transmissible. Um, one of the points on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that should be noted is they when their trials were global. And their trials were in some really tough hot spots in the teeth of the raging virus, including South America and South Africa. So their numbers are even better than they look. But my point on reopening is a, is a brief one, and I'll conclude with this. If we didn't have the variants, 
would be opening up faster and sooner. Um, will we be able to continue to open up? There's no question in my mind. We announced today catering halls for weddings, summer camps. Those are things that are long-tailed. You need many, many months to get ready for summer camp, or sleepaway camp, that is, or for to, certainly to plan a wedding. So those aren't tomorrow things. Um, as it relates to restaurants, other activities, um, we'll get there, I hope, sooner than later, but the variants are in the back of our mind, which is impacting our, our pace right now. We've been getting lots and lots of calls about unemployment insurance, uh, as has been the case throughout the pandemic. We're going to go, uh, we're not going to be able to get to all of them, but we're going to go to Matthew. I'm sorry, Matthew, tell us where you are, because I don't see where you're, where you're calling from. Matthew? Hey, Matthew. Hello? Hi. Where, hey, hi. Sir. where are you calling from? I'm actually calling from Astoria, Queens, but I, uh, I was working in Jersey for uh, quite a while. Okay, great. So, welcome. Tell us your question. Hi. So, um, I'm calling because uh, I was working in Jersey City. I was laid off on August 5th, and I filed for unemployment, and I still haven't gotten it. It's been seven months. And, uh, you know, I've called for months. I got through about three times over the last seven months. Uh, I reached out to the congressman in the district I was working, the assemblyman, who was actually the only one who's actually responded, and I even emailed Governor Murphy's office, but every time I get to the assemblyman, they just say they'll escalate it, and nothing's happened, and it's been seven months, I have no money, and I'm living off my parents' uh, retirement money. Matthew, do you remember the assemblyman? Uh, Raj, I, I, I'm going to butcher it, sorry, uh, Raj McJerry. Yeah, Mukherjee. So he deserves. I, if, if he if he did a good deed, I wanted to give him credit. Um, so Matthew, I, I'll get the. Uh, you have my word. With by tomorrow, the commissioner of the Department of Labor, Rob Sarah Angelo, will get a hold of you. He or one of his senior guys and try to figure this out. And I don't know, Matthew, your situation other than you're in my prayers and God willing, this ends up in a happy place. But to get nothing after seven months, uh, I, I can only imagine what that's like for you. I, I will say this. Occasionally in the past year, there have been moments when President Trump decided to go the FEMA route or the the, the bill that the president, then president, signed on Christmas Eve uh, or New Year's Eve, I forget which, which added a supplemental um, or when this all first started and the tsunami was overwhelming. At moments in time, there have been system issues. You know, there's a big step that was taken in Many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people were impacted. Accepting those moments, it has overwhelmingly been the frustrations that Matthew's expressing due to the very specific reasons associated with one's case. Um, multiple state jurisdictions is part of it, live in one state, work in another. There's lots of different, the gig economy for a period of time, there are very specific issues. Um, and that continues to be the case. So I don't blame Matthew for being frustrated for one second, but it is really important in these cases that we understand the specifics, and I commit to him that we'll get our team to follow up ASAP uh, and try to try to help him out as best we can. 
This is Ask Governor Murphy. I'm Nancy Solomon. Call us with your questions for the governor at 844-677-9283, or you can tweet at us using the hashtag AskGovMurphy. And I wanted to talk about uh, the state budget and your budget address, and the unemployment issue is actually a nice segue into it because um, you've got money in there for modernizing unemployment, um, so that the the computer systems are updated and such. Um, tell us yep. about that. Yeah, so so I've said this publicly a number of times, as has the commissioner. One sort of macro point here, the federal system, Nancy, is like chewing gum and paper clips, um, and it needs to be boiled down and to its to its essential parts and rebuilt in a 21st century way. Why do I say that? Because until or unless that happens, we will do everything in our power in New Jersey where the systems have failed and have been neglected for far too long. But it is throwing good money after bad unless and until the feds uh, do just that, renovate their entire system. But having said that, we're not going to sit still. So to ensure that residents can you know, get their benefits, we propose just under $8 million dollars for IT systems, unemployment, as you rightfully point out, unemployment processing, modernization. That's about... Did we lose you, Governor? Governor, maybe you put the phone on mute? Okay, well, we've apparently lost Governor Murphy momentarily. Stick with us while we get him back. You know, last week he gave his annual budget address, uh, and I don't think any of us could have predicted six months ago. Governor, you've rejoined. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, you're there, and we've rejoined. I have no idea what happened, but I I promise I did not put my phone on mute, so I apologize (laughs) for that. So we've Uh, got about double the amount of money in the the proposed budget than the current one. And it will. This will be more money to up, up things like upgrade the claims processing system. Please God, enhance the user experience, improve communications. To we're trying to make a claim. Um, continue to try to work on a project that's going to develop cloud-based, more real-time analytics, um, etc. Uh, I I believe it will do. It'll be a big step in the right direction, but again, I want to reiterate, we'll do everything within our power. The feds need to cross the Rubicon and finally, at long last, deal with an antiquated uh, federal system. All right, so let's sort of zoom out now and discuss the budget a little more generally. Um, When you gave your annual budget address last week, I don't know that anyone could have predicted, say, six months ago that we'd see you proposing a host of new spending without raising taxes. I mean, things looked so dire uh, back, you know, as as revenue started to plummet because of the pandemic. So uh, how much does this have to do with federal help from President Biden, you know, something we know you were unable to get from the Trump administration. I mean, you know, we're what? We're going to get six and a half billion dollars in federal relief, I believe? I'm not sure. Listen, that would be great. Uh, And God knows we still need it. People, uh, first of all, the budget I propose, Nancy, doesn't have a dime of that in there. So none of that is scored. Hmm. 
So it has nothing to do, in fact, with the federal rescue package that's being debated in Congress, and God willing, President Biden will sign, and God knows we need it. So we have made a lot of investments, but boy, if we had the federal help, we could make a lot more. So I'll give you just some examples where we could use the federal money, helping us in the vaccine program, keeping the frontline workers employed, delivering services for state and local aid, unemployment insurance, not systems as much as more benefits, um, Medicaid expanding, rental aid for people who are desperate. I got a number the other day that the amount of money that folks are in arrears in New Jersey with utilities is over $600 million. Mm. Um, small businesses that have gone belly up, child care, there's a whole ton of areas where we need that federal help. But the budget I presented doesn't include any of it. Um, and but, but it makes a lot of the investments that you know, we either need to make in full, we're finally going to make a full pension payment for the first time in 25 years. We're going to increase pre-K through 12 funding dramatically, in, you know, increase child care dramatically, um, help to women and, and, and babies and infants, particularly of color, where we've got an awful mortality rate and, and put, you know, direct investments there. I could go on. Uh, but it's a lot of the stuff that we have wanted to do and we're able to do either in full or in part. Um, and, and I'm proud of what we presented. You said in your address that you're the first governor in many years who isn't kicking the can down the road um, and certainly making investments in the pension fund goes a long way towards that. But yep. what do you say to those who criticize you for expanding spending, uh, especially since some of that money has to be paid back, right? It's, 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 uh, there's a $4 billion in borrowing. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I will say this. Can we take pensions for, for a second? Our budget envisions just under a $6.4 billion annual payment. The first, as I mentioned, the first full pension payment in 25 years. The last one was in 1996. The number that year hard to believe, fasten your seatbelt, was $228 million. So that's what a full pension uh, payment obligation was then. If, by the way, in those intervening 25 years, governors on both sides of the aisle, by the way, had continued to make the full payment, it would have risen in the budget year that I've presented to $800 million. Meaning, if we're paying $6.4 billion dollars, and it would have been $800 million if everyone had been doing each year the full payment. We are paying $5.6 billion in delinquency charges. And so, yeah, we've, we've got our pension payments going up. But enough already. Until we break the fever and start making full meeting our obligations fully. You know, we're well down the path, but not there yet to fully funding the school funding formula. The last administration, never mind underfunded by $9 billion, it didn't even allow it to work. So uh, enough already. We, I committed that we would stop kicking the can down the road when I got into office, rebuild our trust with the rating agencies, with our public sector employees, with moms and dads who have kids in school, whoever it might be. And that's what we're committed to. And that's what that budget to me says. 
Okay, thank you, Governor. Let's go to the phones. We have Susan from Rocky Hill on the line. Hey, Susan. Hi. Hi. Hi, Governor. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. I'm, I'm calling up. I'm calling about the Mary Jacobs Library in Rocky Hill, which is truly the cornerstone of our community and has been so for almost 50 years. But our library is in crisis, and sadly, its demise may have been enabled by the New Jersey Library Construction Bond Act, which we know is not the, inten- is not the intention of, of that money and those grants. But um, by awarding over $5 million to a proposed library in a neighboring town, the state is potentially contributing to the destruction of a viable, already existing library within our community. And so I would like to know what can you do to help reverse this damage and to verify that public funding is not being wasted to duplicate facilities that will have the effect of destroying a valuable community asset. Thank you, Susan. I, I'm not familiar with the Mary Jacobs Library. It sounds like it's an iconic historic institution. With your blessing, I'd like to ask my colleague, Deb Cornavaca, to follow up with you uh, as a general. So she'll do that within the next day. Um, as a general matter, um, you know, we, we, we finally got the rules and regulations in place to to launch uh, the the borrowing and the investment in our libraries, which we view as incredibly important community centers, centers of learning, and certainly don't want to engender unintended consequences, which it sounds like you're concerned about, that uh, the good news is we got this money approved, investments are going to happen, new centers of and libraries will be built, but maybe they'll have the unintended consequence of of impacting already existing libraries. It's a fair question. It's a fair concern. Um, I'm going to have our team follow up with you on the specifics on the Mary Jacobs Library. Okay, thanks for your call, Susan. Um, So uh, we're about to go to a break, but let's just go back to the budget. Um, So uh, do you essentially see this as sort of a, a Roosevelt's New Deal, that you've got to spend your way out of this recession by getting people jobs and getting the economy back going? If you could do it responsibly without making people's affordability reality in the state uh, even more challenging, we're going to have three of the five lowest increases in property taxes on record. So if you could do it responsibly, the answer is yes, we're leaning in. After coming out of the last Great Recession, the last administration here pulled back, shrank government, shrank services, and we paid an enormous price for that. So the answer is yes, if we can do it responsibly. Okay, thank you. We're going to take a quick break, and next up we're going to talk about legalizing marijuana, and we'll take lots more of your questions. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy. You're listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WNYC and WHYY. Got a question for the governor? Call us at 844-677-9283 or send us your questions on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag AskGovMurphy. I'm Nancy Solomon and we are live with Governor Phil Murphy and uh, we're going to try to cram as many calls as we can into the rest of the show. 
Uh, we're going to go to Richard. I missed where Richard is from again. La- Lake Tamarant. Richard, you're on the line. Thank you. Thank you, hey, Richard. Murphy. I, I'm, I, I'm part of a group of four, a very diverse group of four people. We're currently doing business in Jersey City selling herbs and beauty supplies. And we've, we've been trying to find out how to get an application to sell retail marijuana. And it's been, I've, I've, we've been reading articles and talking to people, and we're at a dead end. I was wondering if you could help me in that. Yeah, Richard, uh, f- first of all, thank you for calling in. Um, we have finally broken through the last of the hurdles as, a, as it relates to legalizing adult-use cannabis of the state. Um, I signed several laws last week that got that over the goal line, and I thank the legislature who worked really hard on some, some tough issues. Um, the commission has stood up, uh, and it is now full bore going down the path toward uh, promulgating the rules of the road that will define this industry and its launch. And maybe part of the reason, Richard, and I'll have somebody, Dan Bryan will help me figure out who will have somebody reach out and, and get to you. Part of the reason uh, you're probably frustrated is frustrated is the, the rules have not been set. This is, this is going to take, you know, my guess is it's possible medical marijuana dispensaries that can prove that they're not impacting their supply could be able to sell adult use recreational six plus months from now. That's possible. I think it'll take longer for the actual uh, straight up retail community to get launched. Uh, This is complicated stuff. We want to get it right. Equity is a huge deal for us. So Richard, I think that's probably the the biggest reason that I'll have somebody follow up with you and wonder what the process looks like. So, Governor, you've said that uh, that you're thinking it's going to be six months, give or take think, a bit. I, I think probably more. I, I said six months, and my team said to me I was being aggressive, but uh, I think it's possible the medical uh, dispensaries, which are already up and running, might get to that in six months. They've got to be able to, to, to um, uh, certify that their supplies are not impacted for their medical clients, clearly, first and foremost. I think it'll be longer until we get the actual recreational retail piece up. Mm-hmm. I saw an article about uh, Curaleaf, which grows in New Jersey, grows medicinal marijuana, um, mm-hmm. that they're gearing up now to try to expand their production. Uh, yep. So they've got, I guess, plants in the ground growing for this purpose. That does not surprise me. Okay, so we have Joe Hernandez, who's monitoring social media with, I believe, another marijuana question. Joe, what do you have? Sure, here's one from Ronald in Jersey City. He says, are there any employee protections for pre-employment drug testing and random drug testing for people who use marijuana outside of work? Yeah, I mean, I want I don't want to mistake this, Ronald. Um, so I'd, I'd prefer if I could get somebody on the team again. Dan, we'll keep track of this. To follow up, um, there are, you know, use cannot, part of the law cannot be used against you at work. Uh, that's different than using it using it at work, obviously. I want to make sure I, I, I get this right. If Ronald can bear with me, uh, Joe, I'll get somebody on the team to follow up with him literally by tomorrow. Well, 
you've made the point when when the whole debate was happening about uh, underage use and how that would be handled by the criminal justice system. And I believe you made the case that it's it shouldn't be any different than than alcohol. It is now equivalent to um, to alcoholic drinking. Wouldn't, yep. wouldn't this also apply then that, you know, nobody gets tested at work to find out whether they had a martini last night? I wouldn't know a martini. <laughs> I have to take your word for that. Uh, yeah, that sounds logical to me. So the so the big challenge in, in the past few weeks, and again, we were able to solve it. Um, and again, we're, we're, we're on a journey here, and, and, and I think we all have to bear with each other and as, as we go forward, and, and maybe it isn't perfect, maybe it isn't a straight line, but the objectives were clear to not legalize uh, marijuana for minors. The, the voters voted in November for t- 21 and up explicitly adult use recreational cannabis, and at the same time, enough already of getting our kids, particularly kids of color, uh, entangled up in the criminal justice system. And we were able to accomplish both of those objectives again whether it's perfect a straight line but I, I i take my hat off to a lot of legislators and advocates who hung in there and, and helped get it done but your 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 point is a logical one and i'll make sure we follow up with ronald on that this is ask governor murphy you can call us with your questions for the governor at 844-677-9283 or you can tweet using the hashtag ask murphy and Joe Hernandez is monitoring those tweets and has another question for you. Joe? Hey, yep. Joe. Here's one from Sarah in Maplewood. I'm concerned about a provision in the marijuana decriminalization law that makes it illegal for police to inform parents about their teen's first offense with drinking or smoking. Parents need to know about this behavior since it can sometimes indicate other problems. Why does the new law restrict parents' rights to know this important information? Yeah. So, Sarah, again, I would like somebody on the team to follow up, uh, Joe, with Sarah. I assume we can get her details. Um, I, I said this the day after I signed the bills, or maybe the day I, I signed the bills. Um, the old marijuana laws in this state ruined countless lives, um, period, overwhelmingly lives of color, either delayed, derailed, completely blew up people's education, career aspirations, whatever it might be. And the number one imperative, I didn't come to support me. I'm a dad of four kids. Uh, This this is not any reason for me other than social justice and turning a page to a a new and better uh, tomorrow, number one. And and, and as I say, whether it's perfect or a straight line or whether or not we'll we'll, we'll together tweak this going forward, uh, whatever the case may be, um, I'm 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 open-minded to any any of that. Um, but a, a couple of other things here. Um, it's I think a very sensible series of hoops you have to go through. You know, we're not legalizing this for kids. That that is absolutely emphatic, uh, and that was a principle that we could not violate. And it, there are a series of steps that kids would go through with a couple of different levels of warnings and then a referral to somebody who can help them out. Um, I think that's sensible. 
Uh, it is very clear, and, and, and there are tools for law enforcement. And, and again, as this industry gets stood up and as we have the test of time together, I think we'll, we'll have much more clarity. If there is clarity, I, I want to make sure folks know, on operating motor vehicles. Uh, if there's any questioning of, of someone being impaired, uh, whether alcohol, by the way, or uh, marijuana, uh, there is explicit uh, authority for law enforcement to, to try to intervene in that respect. But I will get Sarah, somebody on the, or I should say Joe, to Sarah, get somebody on the team to follow up and, and walk through exactly what, what, what the specifics of that mean. So I'm looking at the Attorney General's guidance on this issue, and it says, First offense, officers shall issue a written warning, which must include the person's name, address, and date of birth, but the warning shall not be provided to the individual's parent or guardian. So that's uh, kind of backing up what what Sarah was saying. I didn't quite hear. I understand your reasons for supporting legalization um, and that it's not legal for under people underage, but do you under what is the reason for it uh, for parents not being alerted? Listen, I think your reading of the uh, of the first step is is an accurate one. Um, I, I would just say this: um, the 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 current on the books laws were awful, particularly of for persons of color and kids of color. Um, and, and so I would just repeat what I said a minute ago. We want to, we want to, when I say we, not just me, we collectively want to turn the page and get to a different place. Uh, and, and I, and I, I'm open-minded to how we machine this going forward. Uh, but the imperative was to turn the page that we have. Okay. Um, the bill that you signed also empowers a new cannabis regulatory commission to regulate the industry. Black activists are angry that there are no black men on the commission. Considering that black men were adversely affected by the war on drugs more than anyone and that this legislation was intended to right those wrongs, should there have been a black man appointed? Yeah, I, I, I had a good conversation with the United Black Agenda last week. I had an exchange with the uh, president and friend, uh, Richard Smith, who's president of the NAACP today. We're, we're, we're working on trying to uh, a good place. Let me say this. This commission is chaired by Diana Huenu. Uh, Diana Huenu is an African-American woman. She is a University of North Carolina undergrad and graduate law degree. Um, she is a former leading light in the ACLU. She is a former member of my team. She is, I believe, the daughter or granddaughter, I believe, daughter of immigrants uh, from West Africa. She is a superstar, an African-American woman. She is the chair of the commission, and this could not be in better hands. But it is my understanding that uh, also related to this issue is that someone on the commission is it's it's expressly in the law that there should be a representative from a yep. national organization uh, that has a national a, ad- advocacy group. Right. I believe is the yeah. That's as I say we're working we we are working on that. And I would just say to folks, stay tuned, and, and we're trying to find a good solution that addresses some of the concerns that have been raised. But again, this is being chaired by a star, um, and I could not be prouder of the fact that Diana Huenu is its chair. 
Okay, we're going to go back to the phones. We have Jim from Somerville. Jim, you're on the line with Hello. the governor. Hello. Hey, Jim. Hello. Good evening, Governor. Um, I have a quick question. Um, Who can I contact directly, you know, a person within your office, if my local municipality is reluctant or otherwise ineffective in enforcing some pretty blatant disregard of your executive orders regarding outdoor dining and related restrictions? Uh, Jim, you don't have to contact him. I will get my colleague, Mike Delamater, to contact you either tonight or tomorrow. Okay. Appreciate that very much. Yeah. Listen, th- listen, you're, you're a, a gem to raise this because most places and most, uh, most communities and most entities are doing the right thing. Um, and so to, to get a heads up from somebody who cares like you, I appreciate that more than you know. Governor, getting back to the marijuana legalization questions, um, what what is the expungement process going to look like for people who have are already either have served time or are serving time for a marijuana offense? Yeah, so there's three, and my team will correct the record here if they if I get this wrong. But there's three types of people here. There are folks who may have been arrested since the election day when voters voted overwhelmingly to legalize cannabis. Those arrests and records are completely and totally vacated, I believe, immediately. I I believe that's happened. The second group are the groups, Nancy, who are in the criminal justice system today for a marijuana-related offense. And I'm assuming for this purposes, these purposes, that they're not in for some other reason as well. There is a process which the judicial system uh, is undergoing as we speak, that it is, I'm I'm going to put it in the category as soon as practicable, sooner than later, but that process uh, is uh, handled by the judiciary, uh, does not require the person in the system to um, request this. It will happen automatically. It may take some time, but the process has begun. And the third group are, are the groups, are the p- persons who had been in the system for prior convictions and are no longer in the system, but are eligible for expungement. Um, and that process is, I would say, maturing. The hope is, and this is what we've committed to, that there would be an automatic expungement process. But that requires, frankly, technology, that assumes technology, pardon me, uh, that would capture all of these prior convictions, and that's just not the case. There are, as have been described to me, in many cases around the state, pieces of paper in drawers in desks. So this is ongoing. Um, It is um, not as automatic as we want it to be or it will be, but that process is ongoing. Um, and those are the three different categories of folks. Okay, thank you. So, uh, Governor Cuomo is facing two allegations of sexual harassment. Um, you were head of the Democratic Governors Association. You're the former finance chair for the DNC. So I know that you have your eye on the future of the party and what it stands for and what it needs to do to win elections. And you know, Michelle Goldberg had a column in the New York Times that said that, you know, Democrats are 
holding themselves to standards that Republicans aren't, and they're starting to look like suckers. Uh, you know, does she have a point that uh, that Democrats are are you know being caught up in these things when Republicans just don't respond at all, or do you think that Cuomo needs to possibly resign? I'm, I'm no longer the chair of the DGA, but I, I am still involved. There's just a, just on that. I didn't see Michelle's column, so um, I would just say what I said the other day. Uh, I, I think the allegations are deeply concerning and troubling. Uh, that the notion of an independent investigation, which sounds like that's going to happen, sounds to me like the exact right move. Anybody, no matter who they are, who has a complaint, deserves to be heard, and it deserves to be investigated. Uh, and so that's that's still where I am, and I hope this happens on an expedited basis, and we'll see where the outcome takes us. If the independent investigation uh, launched by the New York Attorney General substantiates the allegations, should Cuomo resign? I, I, I would rather not get into the speculative business. I think we should let it play out, and it should be independent completely. Okay, uh, and, thank you, and that Governor. that part's important. Sorry to cut you off. We're going to have to leave it there. You've been listening to Ask Governor Murphy, a WBGO News production in collaboration with WHYY and WNYC. The show is produced by Doug Doyle and Joseph Capriglione. Our engineers, Corey Goldberg. Good night. <laughs>